to episode 11 of Food Love, the space between terroir and the Tao of food. Today, I have a very special guest. Um, His name is Chef Kevin. He is a fabulous chef instructor, uh, professional executive chef with the designations from his hard-earned accredited executive chef status, which I had the the joy of of watching the evolution of artistry and the the leveling up of such great culinary skill in in someone who you didn't think had too much far to go, (laughs) too much further to go. He was both uh, the, the head chef, really, for the Lakeshore Culinary Institute at a time when I began as an adjunct instructor and had the joy of teaching both the product identification class as well as some garmage classes and advanced garmage classes. Um, so I consider him both mentor, friend, and culinary family member. It is a joy to be speaking with you today, Chef Kevin. Um, and and also a, a guide, um, a, a, a gate opener in many ways, uh, because at a certain point, we talked about uh, the progression of my my time in education from being an adjunct professor to becoming associate dean of the program, um, and what a gift it was to be able to have those career transition questions a- answered, and your full support. So, so thank you, Chef Kevin, for all that you have already given me before we even start sure. this conversation. It's a pleasure sure. to see you today. Sure. Right, and uh, so it's great to see you again, Rufina, and. I would like to just uh, make this uh, uh, a recurring uh, get together every so often if we could. Sure. Uh, I am teaching again uh, for Escoffier Culinary out of Denver, or actually out of Boulder, Colorado, and um, and so uh, I I I know that this is part of your podcast, and I also want to share this with my students. That's right. Today the tables uh, are turned. You're interviewing. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to interview you on your podcast, right? Right. Right. (laughs) And uh, so I just want. Right. I just want to take a a brief uh, minute and let all my students know that this is indeed Rufina Garay, and she's a wonderful chef who has. Now you did your your um, training in Arizona, right? No, actually, I did it. I, I did it oh, no, you in didn't. Vermont, and I was lucky That's enough, right. lucky New enough England, to avoid the winter there. At the New England Culinary Institute. Mm-hmm. That's right. See yeah. there how quickly I get things confused. Oh, that's So, okay. yeah, and a wonderful school that is. That's a yes. really uh, major school in, in our country. And also you trained in Italy. Yes, You yes. spent some time over there uh, yes. honing your craft and your artistry. Uh, I know that you're an author of poetry. I just recently read one of your poems that was just, oh man, just knocked me out. And uh, you you were, were part of a beautiful children's book that I remember being published a few years back. And, um, and so, so many good things like that. And on top of it all, on top of being this great culinary instructor and a wonderful chef, at one point in your life, you were an attorney. Yes. Right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah, So what an accomplished person. Mm -hmm. And I know now you're involved in so many things 
that I'm interested in. I know that in your heart, you're something of a food activist. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know that you look at food and culture and the whole world of gastronomy in a spiritual way, which I really appreciate. And uh, that's one reason I really wanted to talk with you. I know that your uh, website that you have now, Recipes with Rufina. Yes. Dot com focuses on such topics as the space between terroir and the Tao of food. Yes. And now if that's not a spiritual level of culinary, I don't know what is, right? And we're going <laughs> to bring the Tao right. into this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's a good place for us to kick it off, I think, sure. is if you could just explain uh, to everyone in, from your point of view, your perspective, what do you mean by terroir and what do you mean by the Tao of food? Yeah, so we usually talk about terroir in terms of, you know, the study of wine. Um, in culinary school. Right. And we, we really focus on these these years and these um, shortcut ways of letting people know how great the combination of factors were to produce the quality of wine that results. Because the terroir refers to everything about the climate, the soil, the weather, the wind, all the things that create the resistance in the plants that bear the fruit to to become, um, you know, it's, it's full potential as a food product or a beverage product. And I began to think about terroir and wanted to really expand people's understanding that the terroir actually affects everything that grows and is produced and is harvested. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's a plant or whether it's the animals, right? The, the livestock that, that, um, comes from the land, um, or if it's the, the milk produced by the, the livestock. And, and part of my beginning understanding of that was this relationship I developed with the Saxon Farms family while I was at Lakeshore right. Culinary Institute. And I, I can't remember which year it was, but my goodness, um, the flavor of the um, Saxony cheese that year was outstanding. I felt like I hadn't tasted cheese like that since my travels in Europe and France. Um, and that right. I could that taste that. That was the that. year they won a bunch of awards yes, too, right? Yes, they won a bunch of awards. Yeah. And it was mm-hmm. really clear that the the existence of that farm along Lake Michigan's, you know, c- kind of close to the shore. Right. Really made a difference in the quality of the soil, the presence of the minerals, um, you know, the moisture content, um, the way that the different kinds of alfalfa or whatnot that the livestock were eating matured and held nutrients affected the flavor of the milk. And it was the light bulb right. going off where I was like, everybody needs to understand terroir as it relates to food, not just to wine. And so how can we talk right. about that? How can we talk about the ways in which place affects flavor. And and so even one of the reasons that I live here in Port Townsend, Washington, is because Chris, who is my partner who I, I met in culinary school, and I came here on a vacation, and we ate the food products from the farmer's market, and we fell in love with the flavor of place. And we knew that it okay. couldn't really be replicated elsewhere. And so right. um, we wanted to play with those ingredients um, for our lifetime. 
And so right. that, that's sort of my personal relationship with an understanding of terroir. And then when it comes to the Tao of food, my meaning in that um, originates in my deep studies uh, with, with my teacher, uh, we call him Shifu uh, Chen. And he is a, um, a Taoist priest as well as a Kung Fu master because those two things go hand in hand at the deepest practice of Taoism and Tai Chi and Kung Fu. Um, it becomes transformative right. internally. And through deeper practices of meditation and the meditative movements in Qigong practice and Tai Chi, one becomes more in tune with one's connectedness to everything, absolutely everything. So, so that when we look at food, we understand that the food becomes part of us and that if we follow nature, I just actually wrote this article for the International Association of Culinary Professionals called Dao and a Dandelion for Longevity. And in it, I talk about one of the principles of Taoist cooking and eating, which is to follow Tao, follow nature, and eat with the seasons, right? Eating with the seasons is at the heart of the local foods movement, right? That we kind of begin to right. follow nature. We begin to support our agrarian farmers. We begin to eat what's natural to this place. And it just seemed so aligned with how I wanted to live. And the traditions in traditional Chinese um, medicine also kind of originate from some of those same principles. And, and exactly. the idea that food was healing medicine was at the heart of some of it. And that you are empowered through the eating of food to have deeper awareness of oneself, of one's own physical body and one's own spiritual nature and connectedness both to community and also to environment and the health of the planet, if you want to go that far. Sure. Rafina, I, I seem to recall in, in many, many deep conversations that we've shared in the past that you actually spent some time living at a, a Taoist monastery, didn't you? A, it it wasn't a, a monastery, um, but I did spend oh. time cooking for my teacher for oh, multiple that's what it was three. i knew you had done something like yeah. that yeah yeah and um that's where i really began to understand uh many of the ingredients used in you know traditional chinese medicine where the the soups include some herbs and spices spices really that are intended to fight off viruses and and have those properties so that you'll see like now you can buy tinctures in the um you know health and wellness sections of certain stores that include the same right. ingredients in an easy to take format whereas chinese cookery uh you know from ancient times has included this as part of the daily routine of eating, cooking and eating. So right. in some of these Asian markets, you'll see packets of some of these spices and they're even designed to say, if you have a cold, this is the packet of spices you ought to use and begin to drink this right. soup. So it's very right. obvious and transparent how food becomes a, a, a means to heal. Oh, sure. It I is. mean, uh, are the world's full of 
combinations of spices and herbs for healing, isn't it? Yes. I mean, if you have arthritis, turmeric is a great mm-hmm. choice, just as an example. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, backing up just a bit, when you were talking about the time uh, that we spent working with Saxon Farms, mm-hmm. we did many events with them. And um, one thing I really admired about them was was their connection to terroir, to the land, mm-hmm. and to the safety of the land. Right. And part of their purpose for holding these events that we used to cater mm-hmm. was to train young farmers how to respect the land and the water supply and to do their agriculture in a way uh, that was sustainable and that would be healthy for all of us, right? Yes, that was one of the most beautiful parts of our culinary institute that we had made as a, as a group of faculty a commitment to promoting sustainable foods and agriculture. Right, right. And, and that piece around land stewardship was really important and really knowing the livestock, right? I remember in my conversations with, with Jerry, I think it was Jerry, he, he said that, uh, you know, in the early stages of their management of the herd, people were calling thinking that there was a problem because of the way that they let them roam. And one of the key things that he said to me that opened my mind up to what what real stewardship is of the land and of the animals is is that he said, you know, our cattle were able to move to the places they naturally like to go to during windstorms. They like to go to kind of more forested areas to have that shelter. And then they like to be out and about other times, you know, when it's not so windy and and that. And what he said was people were calling saying that they were being inhumane to their herd because they allowed them that freedom and they weren't being contained in the barns. And he said to me, the barns are for the farmers so that they don't get cold while they're taking care of them. And I thought, yeah, that's that's a great perspective, just to understand that one piece about how to take care of them. And and they really practiced rotation of their crops that were feeding the livestock in order to really maintain the stewardship of the land. And they they did have a way of managing the land um, to let areas lie fallow too. Um, I think they called them pods, didn't they? Wrote, yeah, they rotated their their grazing pods or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and everyone uh, uh, speaking to my students just for a second, as you move through uh, different levels of culinary expertise and management, you'll hear this term stewardship an awful lot. And um, I used to think when I was younger, oh yeah, stewardship uh, just meant to protect your money, you know, <laughs> to be a good good control of costs. But indeed. It's much more than that. It's uh, being a good steward of your resources. And you start to look into that and say, well, what are resources? Well, you know, human resources are probably the most valuable ones you have. But it starts at the very places where we get our food. And this Saxon Farms that Rafine and I are talking about, that's what they were really good at. They were cheesemakers, dairy farmers, and, uh, oh, they made some of the best maple syrup that you'll ever taste in the world too, you know. It was a great group of folks and and they really truly believed in that notion of sustainable land and the terroir that you're speaking of, Chef, right? 
Yes. Yeah. Yes, they did. That's important stuff. Well, tell me a little bit about uh, while we have a few minutes. Uh, I, I know my students and I know your your listeners would love to hear about um, this space between yes. Terroir and the Dow, and um, maybe tie in a little bit, a little history, and a little bit about where Saucy Girl and that kind of yeah. thing came from, and and what you're doing with this concept today. Because I know you've been really involved and really busy, right? Yeah, I have been. Um, well, there's there's part of me that just wants to make the the part about feeding oneself, nourishing oneself, easier for people and accessible nice. to people. So, how do you have fun with it more? Because I, I know people who are hesitant to cook for themselves, um, having come from that corporate biotech experience. Uh, there's so many people who are working so hard who can't take the time to cook for themselves. And, and yet there, there's, there's a real blessing, I'd say, in, in feeding yourself real food um, and not just feeding yourself the food because it's fresh and wholesome, but also in the making of the food to kind of really connect with, with you know, that, that empowerment of, of knowing how to take care of your own body. So this, the space between co- the concept relates to the full cycle of food systems and, you know, even the end consumer being you individually and, right. and how you can shape that relationship. So shaping the relationship means, you know, getting comfortable with what, what you want to learn to cook. Um, I came from a household where my mother was a five ingredient cook because she was a very busy working mother. And I didn't spend a lot of time in the kitchen. I really didn't start cooking until I bought a copy of the Union Square cookbook when I was in law school. And I thought to myself, I better learn to feed myself. And so I began to cook some of the recipes out of that book for both my boyfriend at the time and also a couple friends who were living in New York. Um, And I would just invite them over and be experimental with it. Right. And that just develops into a passion. And the the hope is in presenting small videos and just even photographs of food that, that people can kind of come into their own space and their own relationship with food and the cooking of it and the eating of it in ways that support their health through the beauty of it, right? Just the visuals of it, the smells of it, um, the imagination of being able to cook those things and and also being in community with others around it. You, you'll, you're probably seeing during this pandemic how many more people are returning to cooking at home because there right. is a comfort in it. There's a comfort in it and there's a groundedness that comes from cooking your own food and even from the kinds okay. of food that you choose. So in the process, you know, that space between also includes these dialogues that we have around food and the leadership that is arising constantly around food. And in the pandemic, I would say, you know, some of the people I've been following are people like Jose Andre, who has created the World Kitchen to be fully responsive and to address some of the human need in food security at this time, like the courage Mm -hmm. and the bravery and also the dedication and passion that he exudes is just remarkable. Um, Oh, it's contagious. Yeah. It's contagious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, those kinds of dialogues that we can have about the people who inspire us, how do we take that into our own hearts in this time? 
I have uh, served on the food system resiliency task force in our own uh, county to help determine how we can get food to people who are in the most need in our county using the Federal CARES Act funds. And how can we sort of expand programs? I sit on the um, board of directors of the Jefferson County Farmers Market. How can we expand and promote access to the SNAP match funds um, so that people from all different backgrounds can can access healthy, fresh food at the farmer's market. It's it's not just for the privileged people, right? It's for everybody. Right. So that right. level of equity becomes part of the practice of wanting to share great food and, and right. local food, right? I'd yeah. say the other piece is, you know, really looking and valuing the uh, agrarian economy, right? And, and not just economy, I mean, the people, the people who run it, because I think for such a long time, and, and even with the way policies have worked, we've diminished, we've diminished the, the ability to choose what, what gets planted, right? And in this, in this community, right. we have smaller farms that are growing, um, you know, products that they're passionate about, the larger farms become, you know, more like commodities work. And we, we have things that get subsidized. If you watch King of Corn, you know, the way that human impact and uh, legislative work has changed what, what level of diversity we have, biodiversity in corn, really astounds me. And unless we begin to turn the tide and begin to focus a little bit more on local, we're going to find ourselves kind of ex- excluding ourselves from the potential of choices and diversity that keeps a healthier ecosystem overall. So yeah. I, I'm very committed to kind of re-examining these things and also examining yeah. how we are teaching through the food that we offer students in the public school systems. You know, the the regu- regulations from the FDA on what what qualifies as a healthy snack you can feed a child a donut and it fulfills um, the grains requirements for, for, for student nutrition. There's something a little yeah. bit wrong with that, if not a lot wrong with that. Well, it, it's really all about putting, you know, nutrition and wholesomeness as your first ingredient, right? Yeah. As yeah, your priority, that's your priority. I've heard many people, I know you spent some time in Italy and, and I have a good friend who spent a long time in south of France as a chef and and he told me that the biggest difference between there and here was that the food was grown with nutrition and quality in mind mm-hmm. and profit was not a dirty word but it was in second or third place mm-hmm. it wasn't the top priority mm-hmm. and uh and I think if if we don't move in that direction as you're suggesting it's it's you know there are just there's a price to pay for that Yes, and uh, and we're, we've already seen some of that. Yeah, what would you say, Chef, to to the students who are the, these students are in their first year of culinary school? They're doing a bang up job. We have Great. a class where we're doing patisserie work and uh, oh, all kinds of stuff. We're sort of in a garde manger phase right now, doing nice. terrines and pâtés. Oh, I love and, that. And uh, yeah, having a lot of fun. But w- what would be uh, a couple tidbits of advice that you might offer? Sure. that they could carry through their week and think about along these lines. Mm-hmm. This, well, this just, in terms, that, 
Yeah, in terms of garbage, on the um, the there's a principle in there of um, the translation, right? To keep to eat, and the preservation of foods through fats, salts, sugars. Those things to me represent like key fundamental learning in in culinary arts that can be used to kind of expand anything that you create in the future. So, so even if you feel like you're just making a salad, embrace it with your whole heart and make it the most beautiful salad that you're ever going to make for anybody. And, and recognize that what you put on the plate is really a manifestation of your own self, how you value what's inside you in terms of your own artistry and your own love, right? Most people will say that if, if I feed you, I'm telling you I love you. And in, in our house, because there are two of us who, right. um, you know, who have gone to culinary school and, and Chris really was a, a chef um, for, for such a long time before I even met him. We think it's the missing language of love that doesn't get identified in the five languages of love. And, yeah. and I would say that for myself, you know, that it's a great place to start. It's one of the reasons, you know, in this pandemic, I decided to take on this, this project because we've had so many challenges in, in talking about relationships with each other in this time of great, you know, racial conflict. And I yes. really do think, you know, taking something as basic as food and experiencing it through the eyes of different people and through their recipes and different cultural or origins can be a helpful way in to some of these conversations. And it might seem so simplistic yeah. to some, but sometimes the simplest ideas can take root. And I would encourage everyone to begin to think more broadly about the power of food um, and, and not to underestimate it and not to underestimate your role in it. Uh, ideally, I would say each, each person now in this new era has to recognize the political nature of the choices that we make in food, like whom are we going to support through our purchasing? You know, how are we going to take care of our own culinary families? The pandemic has shown us that, that healthcare is inadequate for a significant portion of the population that is considered essential. They're just coming to light as essential. They've been essential all along, but now we're giving words to it. And so, you may enter culinary school thinking you're going to be one thing and your path may diverge, but the learning you take will open up so many things that will heal your heart, become your own form of meditation. You know, it's just such an expansive opportunity um, that I just hope everyone takes it to its full potential. Wow. I could, I, I've never heard it said better. Very <laughs> nice. Well, you know, we've just about ran out of time, but what I <clears throat> what I want to bring up to everyone, at the beginning I said I'd like to make this a series of conversations. And so this is part one. Uh, and um, thank you so much for, uh, for making this happen, for taking time out today, Chef. I hope uh, <clears throat> that all the students that are listening are enjoying this. I'm sure that they are. And uh, you and I will chat a little bit and come up with uh, some topics, part two, soon to follow, right? Fantastic. That would be great. I love spending yeah. time with you. I think you're such a oh, master. This has just been uh, 
wonderful for me. Great to reconnect with you again. And uh, and I will be in touch with you very soon to schedule the next interview, chat, whatever we want to call this. Chautauqua maybe is a good, a okay. two-person Chautauqua, right? Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's plan on that. And I want to thank you for giving okay. me this opportunity to talk about things. I've had a couple of friends in the community say, what if we kind of turned it around and interviewed you? And I, yeah. I felt most comfortable starting here. Um, <clears throat> you've known me the longest in sure. terms of this culinary sure. journey. And, uh, wow. I, I kept my, uh, uh, kept biting my tongue because you were bringing up so many things and I had so much I wanted to talk about. So I know there's going to be no shortage of topics. Yes. That's for sure. We'll just let our passion for uh, food and culture and uh, <clears throat> spirituality and all this just take us uh, yes. wherever it wants to take us. This will be a lot of fun. So yeah, everybody, is, thanks for joining us. And, yeah, and, uh, and I can't wait to do the next one, right? Yeah. And, and this has been a great example of conversations around food love, the space between terroir right. and the Tao of food. Thank you, Chef Kevin. Okay. Thanks, Rufina. 